0: Welcome to Opsy, a podcast for people doing Opsy work in tech. I'm your host, Carol Griffin. And every month, I dig into what Opsy work really is by talking to an operations pro who has something really cool to teach us in a traditional part of ops like HR or finance, or a newer specialty like no code ops or marketing ops. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm here with Brian Swanick a freelance marketing consultant who brings a little opsy magic to all of his projects. Brian and I first met at a startup called Skillcrush, where I was leading operations, and he was brought in to help with our paid ad strategy and then eventually went on to help with all sorts of things. We didn't overlap a whole lot, but I always really liked working with him when we did. He was a marketing guy and an operations guy, which felt like kind of a weird combo back then. Nowadays, marketing ops is one of the fastest growing specialties in operations, or at least I've decided it is based on how many job postings I see for it. And that's one of the many reasons that I knew I wanted to have Brian on the podcast as soon as I started planning it. Brian knows his shit on both the marketing side and the operation side, and he's been doing this work for years. Plus, he's just a genuine joy to work with. He's one of those people that I'm always just waiting for an excuse to bring into any project. So I'm excited for all of us to have a chance to learn from him today. Welcome, Brian. We're officially recording. Super excited to dive into all things marketing ops and ops and book recs because you always have those and whatever else you got for us today.
1: Thank you for having me. I feel like I'm learning a lot just by thinking about the podcast. You know what I mean? And of course, listening to episode one, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of think differently about that. Or I'm like, oh, validation, because that's exactly how I think about things. So it's been fun already and we haven't even recorded.
0: Oh, great. We're 10 seconds in and he's already said it's fine, y'all. We're on a great start. And yeah, I feel the same way, I think, in talking to other operations people and really starting Opsy. That's like the only time I've ever really been forced to articulate like a definition of what Ops is and to really explore that for myself, even though I've you know been doing yeah. this work for years. So let's just dive right in. You're a freelance marketing consultant now, but I scrolled pretty far back on your LinkedIn profile while prepping for this interview and I was stunned, stunned to see an HR role on there. So clearly I'm missing some backstory. Tell us a little bit about your career path so far and how you got into marketing and marketing ops specifically.
1: I feel like that's a classic, take what you can get job role because I had originally been brought on uh, just to basically work in the office. They're like, hey, he's young. He probably knows about computers. And then I didn't really know how to work, but I worked pretty hard. So I was willing to like put in the hours and not be lazy. So they just kept giving me projects, which was great because the original role was actually talking on the phone a lot. And I was deathly scared to like call people I didn't know on the phone, even though they kind of worked for us because it was a staffing company. You know, so we had 300, 400 contacts who had worked for us and I was supposed to call them talk about their schedule. And I'm just staring at that phone like, this is, this is terrifying. I don't like this.
0: Talking on the phone is the worst.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is funny because now we're on a podcast. We're talking about video calls are where it's at phone yes, calls, very so, different. Yeah. 2000, yeah, <laughs> but the projects thing was interesting, and I think that's where I found some footing in operations, and I didn't realize it at the time, I was just thinking, these people taught me this process, and it's pretty organized, I like that, like, I like knowing what I'm going to do, and it wasn't high-level work, and so you probably saw that I was a recruiting associate, then I was like a payroll coordinator, and an HR generalist, and these are kind of like Many titles that I transitioned around to, but the payroll coordinator, I, I i was like 24 and running payroll for a company that had 200 employees and contractors getting paid every week, which was so strange because I barely passed finance like 69.6 caro. I needed a 69.5
0: oh wow okay so you know what we're gonna have like this i feel like you've, you've created a safe space here brian where i will tell you i've never passed a math <laughs> class on the first try and so every time i see a bachelor's degree in like finance or something required on a job posting that's like for operations i'm like y'all like horrible like horrible in all math classes and i run yeah. finances for like multi-million dollar businesses now it's wild yeah. so i'm, I'm totally yeah. with you on that
1: <laughs> well then that's the truth is is that it's about process and figuring things out it's not about tea tables or Whatever we talked about in school. And cash flow is important. Like knowing those concepts is important, but I feel like they're important as you get really big. I mean, obviously, cash flow is important. You can't run out of cash, but those concepts are only important for bigger companies. They're not as relevant for someone who runs a SaaS business. You know, like the numbers are kind of straightforward. Of course, you have when you receive money and when you bill it is different, but you don't need to know all that stuff. I wish there was finance for, not finance for startups, but something like that.
0: Oh my God. Absolutely. I talked to so many Opsy people about this. It's like on the, on the Opsy plan years from now, maybe at some point, because I think so many of us want this because yeah, I learned it on the job. Like I think so many of us do like what was important, what wasn't, you figure it out as you go. And that's like what a smart Opsy person can do. You know, you don't, you don't need the, the whole textbook behind it.
1: I will say one thing is that I kind of like the agony over not knowing something. Like I kind of, Somebody hands me something and they're like, "Listen, this project, it's complicated. There's a lot of people involved. Can you handle that?" And I I don't give a physical eye roll, but sometimes I'm like, "All right." But I secretly really like that, you know? Yes. Like I want to be relied on and I want to like feel like I'm doing something challenging because yeah. that's part of why I'm motivated by work. It's not to collect a paycheck otherwise it's much easier to go in-house and work at like a fan company. Well, maybe not easier to work at a fan company, but it's probably easier to work at like a Fortune 500 company being like a senior marketing analyst or something like that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I can't picture you doing that. So No. Okay, so you started off in this HR path and yeah, it sounds like really just found like a love of operations and realizing, I think you said like, I realized I liked things organized, which I think a lot of us could really relate to. So what was the first like marketing task you took on? Was it at that company or was it when you like on your next
1: role? So I realized that the HR side, especially that company just wasn't going to work because it was a small company. And so you didn't have one role, you know, as you can see, I was there for a year and I hopped between three different roles. So the, the projects that really kind of got me started were running payroll. And then we had all of this paperwork that we needed to get state compliant. And so I tackled that and, you know, it took me like four months I don't know. I had a really good HR director there. His name is Martin and he was fantastic as a mentor. And he used to he'd be like, all right, Brian, come to my office. And that was code for let's stand out back. He'll, change, he'll smoke a cigarette and we'll talk about the project, you know? And it was fantastic because he just like imparted so much wisdom and how to be organized that I could, I felt confident and he believed in me and I loved every aspect of that. And then at some point I was like, well, I know I don't like this long-term. Uh, it's just not Right. And I really was interested in digital marketing. And this is 2011, 20, 2011, I think. Social ads, which is a lot of what I do now, had, was not even started. And I did get in early there, which was huge. But taking on a digital marketing project when you're full up on this HR project where you had to get, you know, 400 or however many people work there, contractors' paperwork up to date with the state, we're talking about like 35 pieces of paper for every single person. And the state was like, you have to have it faxed in. There was no, let me take a picture of this. DocuSign did exist, but they didn't allow us to do
0: that. Yes. This is I the first time I had to get insurance for a remote team like three days beforehand. I was like, okay, so like, can I put this in a Google Drive? Like, do you have a preference as to where I store this? And she's like, oh, no, you have to you have to mail it in. And I will never forget standing on a FedEx with these like 100 pieces of like health insurance forms trying to make sure that I had everything before I like overnighted it to New York.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, what if it gets lost? Because that seems more realistic than an email. An email it's like, oh, it got blocked up because the attachments were too big.
0: Right. And you're like, this is like 2016, y'all. Like, what are we doing?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was part of the agony was, you know, we had to buy software that combined pages into a single PDF that didn't exist. And now there's so many apps for that. Uh, So so I forced myself into Mark. I was kind of like, hey, we should send a newsletter to our team because part of the problem is that sometimes they don't pick up the phone or they don't like hear from us for nine months. And then we call them and say, hey, do you want to work at this facility uh, this weekend? And they're like, hey, what happened to me? Like, you're not doing anything for me and so I did get buy-in to send like four marketing newsletters just like a monthly thing like here's what's happening at the office they were pretty terrible to be honest with you but I did have a foundation in Mailchimp now you know I yeah I edited a template I wrote the email we tested it I learned how agonizing it can be to get internal write-off on something and we made it work
0: you learned how to do it you figured it out what a transition
1: (laughs) Yeah. And then I also told the story the other day, I can't remember why, but how I just ran a Google ads campaign because they sent me a free few dollars And I was like, I don't know how to do this. And I don't really want to get buy in. So I just did it. And it was fine. You know, we got like 20 clicks on the ad or something like that. I might actually be able to find the account still. And it didn't cost us a dime. And then I could talk about Google ads too. I was like, I can run it. I ran a campaign all on my own. And so interviews became a lot easier, you know?
0: I love this. Uh, Cause I definitely get those emails and I feel like that's a very Brian story that you like got that email and you were like, you know what? Yes, I'm going to do this free Google ad credit. Yeah. Why not?
1: Yeah. And that's, it's kind of similar to operations is operations. You're like, how can I reverse engineer the process as I think it should work? And then what's that first step? And that's, I was like, how do I get a job being a marketing coordinator? at a digital marketing company. Okay, well, what if I had experience in email and then Google Ads? That makes sense. Yeah. And so that's actually why my boss hired me. He told me four or six months later, he was like, you know, showed some initiative. You knew the terms. You had studied and passed the Google Ads exam or something like that. And so, yeah, like that's that's why I hired that's you. That's awesome.
0: And I think I would have felt the same way about that story as a hiring manager. I would have been like, oh, okay, you know? Yeah. So it just goes to show that it's not always this like big, huge certification thing. It's like, you know, just taking initiative and taking that first step. So obviously you transitioned into some marketing roles, but you've been consulting as long as I've known you uh, in the marketing, marketing ops yeah. space. So what made you make that switch from working in-house at an agency?
1: I really disliked it. Nah, just didn't. I mean,
0: that's why I <laughs> left my agency like you, way back in the day. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I just didn't enjoy waking up. And going to work. It Hello. just wasn't fun. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very honest podcast, right? Uh,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> you know, I think especially when you're young, and I can't remember how old I was. I guess it was eight years ago. I think I started freelancing eight years ago. So I always forget because my anniversary of starting the business is in April. April 16th is my first day of freedom. Uh, But I think it was 2014, 2015. I can't remember. So something around eight years. And back in eight years ago, I didn't know if it was going to be, I, I didn't really know what I liked and didn't like. I just, or I should say, I didn't know what I liked. I definitely knew what I didn't like. And I didn't like being in this open office environment where anybody can interrupt you at every time. And the, and the interesting thing is that your first guest, is it Megan was your first guest, right? Yeah. Yes, she's awesome. And I like her record taste. We were talking about that on Twitter.
0: <laughs> I saw y'all talking on Twitter and I was just like, oh my God, I love this. This is why Opsie exists so to connect full. my favorite Opsie people. I loved it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll have to get in touch with her. But so she she made the comment that she has a high executive function and she can context switch like crazy. And I am the opposite. I have a very fixed amount. And so I thrive in asynchronous work and I had worked in freelance before I joined an agency uh, and I kind of liked it. I wasn't very good at it. Like I wasn't good at working asynchronously and at my own pace. They're just skills you have to learn unless somebody's giving you work all the time. Uh, And I was trying to find clients of my own. I was working with somebody who's starting an agency, but when I got to uh, like a full agency, I just realized that I can't be interrupted all the time. I just can't do it. And that that really was just a drag on my day. And I felt like I was living in some sort of alternate universe, you know, where like I couldn't decompress at night and, you know, relationships take a downturn when you do stuff like that, because you're just war- or zapped from work and then you have nothing to give when you're hanging out with your friends or family or whoever. So, you know, enough of that. I, I, worked there for about a year. And they were, there were some awesome people there, and I actually stay in touch with some of them. Um, and some of them turned into consultants and freelancers too, and we worked together every once in a while. So it was a great experience. Uh, and I particularly liked the CEO. He was, he was a super cool guy to me. Um, and, but I, I just knew I had to get out. And it was one of those things too, where I don't necessarily believe that positive thinking will get you everywhere, but I was so determined when I left. I was like, I'm never going to work for anybody ever again. That might not be true, but it was definitely going to be true for a couple of years. I knew that I needed to explore this itch or scratch this itch and kind of explore this new field. So that's when I turned into freelancing, what I would call freelancing. And then eventually I kind of went bottom up into consulting. Like I was a freelancer, hire me to run your ads, basic stuff. And then eventually that kind of grew into, oh, you you know a lot about this, you should charge more. And that's the thing when clients tell you to charge more. That's when you're underpriced.
0: As a frequent client of yours, you should charge more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so you often explain your role as fixing broken marketing programs for growing companies. So you've talked a little bit how you are now this more bottom-up, like consulting, but what are your projects usually look like? What kinds do you usually take on?
1: That's a good question. So there are tangible things that I look for and intangible things that I look for in good projects. The tangible things are really, and I'll say more, Maybe more quantitative is the way to look at it, but I I just want to work on the things that I know. I don't like working on things, you know. A good example is SEO. So people know, and you probably think like, oh, Brian knows a lot about keyword research and he knows a lot about content. And I've actually taken that role on a project that we worked on. You know, I was I wasn't the head of SEO, but I was responsible for a project and SEO, and I'm happy to do that with clients that I work with already. But I don't know that much about it. You know, I, I did it for a, a long, like a while previously, and I have some side projects I do it for. And, uh, you know, the big concepts haven't changed, but I don't like feeling responsible for that. So there's a, all these things that are SEO, email marketing, social media management that are, I'm just, no, automatically, no. So maybe those are more qualitative than quantitative. But uh, <laughs> then the other thing is the size of the company. You know, I, I love helping startups. You know, I had this dream job realization one time where if I could just sit in the desk in like downtown Tampa or wherever I live and people could just walk in with their problems and just like, we could solve it right there or yeah. I could give them direction. I would take a low salary and just do that for the rest of my life. Cause I like helping people solve hard problems. And frequently the way I put it is like, I like helping good people do good things. Yeah. And so there is kind of this, well you need to be big enough because I can't just do charity work you need to have some other features. Like if we're running social ads, you need to have an email list. That's so certain size, yeah. um, obviously I can't consult on, or I, I guess I could consult on projects that have a low ad spend, but I can't manage things where we only spend a thousand dollars per month because it's just, you would have to pay me more than that to do them. Mm. So there are all these kind of crazy little features of things that, that make it easier to work with me either on search ads or social ads. But Really, I just want something. I want somebody to come to me and say, hey, I have this really good business. And there are a lot of good things going for it. Marketing is a little busted. It's (laughs) just average. Something's not right. And we had somebody doing it and they were doing a good job, but it's not our bread and butter. So now we want to level it up a little bit. And I think that's where I'm a great fit is identifying the roadmap between where we are now and where we want to be. Roadmap, great ops word. And, And connecting... Yeah, so that's where it kind of becomes ops. And sometimes that takes, sometimes it happens where people approach me with that, especially we worked before. But oftentimes people will just say, hey, we need somebody with experience integrating the CRMs to run our ads. Okay, great. I can do that. And then we talk more and more and then we drill down on the problem. The problem isn't necessarily getting the data into the CRM. It's what we do with it. And that's when we kind of expand services. So I'm straddling this Freelancer consultant thing because I still do provide services. However, you know it used to be that I would be ten to twenty percent consulting work, and now it's like fifty to seventy percent. Just depends on the month. Yeah. So that's kind of like the bottom up thing. It's like I provide services, but now I just have that experience and I can I can close that gap too and fast forward those roadmaps. And that's probably why you get hired too. Is to yeah. It's like hey, we know where we need to go, kind of. Flush it out and then make that happen in three months as opposed to 12 months
0: exactly and that's yeah is exactly why I get hired and then usually you know I, I make that roadmap and they're like okay so can you like help on this marketing side too and I'm mm-hmm. like kind of like you were talking about the SEO and it's like I can't but I don't think you want me to like I don't think I'm not the best bang for your buck here and I'm like let me introduce yeah. you to my friend Brian <laughs> and this is how we keep working together
1: <laughs> yeah no and, and that's but, you know, going back to the other question, that's one of the things that I look forward to, like good people. Like, I, I don't want to harp on people to get things done, like, and the people we work with and have worked with in the past have a desire to take pride in their work and to do good things and, like, build something of, of value. And I just like working with good people that have hard problems and good people building good companies is kind of like you found something that you're interested and in, engaged in. I don't want to have to work with people who are just kind of moping and trying to get through the day. Uh, that's just not fun to work with those kinds of people. Like I'd rather work with people who are excited to work and gain energy from meetings as opposed to having like that energy zap, which is some meetings, they just zap you. Like that's just gonna happen. But yeah. I would rather work with people where I feel motivated and engaged and, and inspired to work hard, like we're actually building something, which can be challenging, but that's where I think that I'm an operator and a COO as opposed to a CEO, because I will get I'm attention to details. I can support big picture, but I like supporting I like supporting somebody's big picture.
0: <laughs> Spoken like a true ops person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, you know, what are the pros and cons of doing that work as a consultant versus, you know, being in-house full-time?
1: There are definitely easy pros and easy cons on both sides. Like the the older I get them the more I see it and I think cons are clearly getting work, especially in my role because I don't have a, a desire to grow my consulting business as it stands right now. I actually run a really bad business, like a bad technical business from an operation. You do,
0: even just from the outside, I can tell, but like in a way that I so admire and really
1: like. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And it's bad because business is actually really good. And this past year was so good. Just from operating more like a business and less like a freelancer, I was just very excited about it. It got me, it got me like really excited.
0: Oh, I love it! I hope you celebrate it. I hope you like bought yourself a donut or like I don't know a nice beer or whatever. You just I'm really
1: bad at that, so I should probably if I <laughs> if I did I forgot and I should do it again.
0: Oh my god, you should absolutely <laughs> do it again! I'm really big about this. Everybody listening, you need to celebrate your wins. Pick a thing that it feels celebratory, and every little win you should celebrate. Minus yeah. cinnamon rolls, highly recommend. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I am diabetic too, so we gotta keep it easy. Okay, yeah, trigger. so maybe not sweets.
0: So you know, maybe something else. I don't know. You're like a big like athletic person. I'm like, go to the gym or something. That's not a reward for me. But. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll buy like a nice like another dry fit shirt for myself. There you go. Yeah, and see, yeah. and
0: then you get to look at your closet of dry fit shirts that all represent cel- like celebrations. You no, know? doesn't yeah. that sound nice? Like the the dry fit wins. I don't know. There's something. There's something. There Every
1: I'm day right. is Wednesday. Wow. <laughs> Wow, Uh, I both
0: love and hate that. Okay. So (laughs) pros and cons. Oh, pros and cons. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you definitely will work less and make more money if you are in-house at a big company like McKinsey or Accenture or something like that, like a big consultancy. You do get benefits of working with other smart people as well. I think it depends on if you want to cultivate that kind of smart. Like do you want to get into, you know, creating really big reports and Uh, presenting them to clients like is that what you want to do the other side of it is that i do a lot of research and do a lot of prep and and then i do have to present that to clients but it's much more practical and it's much more hands-on and i'm not at the mercy of somebody else slowing me down so there are very clear pros and cons there i think for me having this touch of it's not adhd but it's like I, i i like ownership of my time And sometimes I'm feeling very motivated, and I will just work through things. And sometimes I'm feeling less motivated, and I have to move tasks. And so if I was in house, I would be at the liberty of somebody else telling me what to do for the most part. That's not true for everybody, but for the most part. And I think that it's really nice to work asynchronously. So if I could find an in house asynchronous position, that's totally doable. But But the pros of being a consultant are great because you can just take time off. And I think working with good clients is part of it too, because if you could be a consultant, but they might treat you like an employee. And so you have to set those boundaries very early on, because if you don't, then you end up being the person that answers emails at six or seven o'clock. And I'm notorious for like, you can text me. And if we're in a meeting or we're meeting up for a meeting or something like that, I might respond to you, but there is 0% chance I will respond at other times because I don't text clients. That's just not part of my protocol. That's not how you get things done. How do you, where do you put a text? You can't like star it.
0: Yes. I hate working via text. I'm like, no, can't do this.
1: Yeah. It just doesn't work.
0: I feel like you've given me the perfect segue to my next question, which was that you have some of the best work boundaries I've ever seen. (laughs) And that's something I've always (laughs) really admired about you when we worked together, especially when I was still kind of like, you know, earlier in my like, Yeah, at my first startup, like hustling all the time and feeling like I need to do all of these things. And Brian was like, okay, cool. I got my thing done. I will, I will do the rest tomorrow. I will see you tomorrow, you know, (laughs) and like, you still like got everything done, but just in a way that felt so much more calm (laughs) than the way that I operated. Yeah. So how do you structure your work? How do you decide what your day looks like and what projects you're going to work on?
1: I feel like this could be a podcast episode in It itself.
0: absolutely could be, but I'm gonna. I'm like, now, Brian, answer it in less than a minute.
1: Yeah, yeah we <laughs> only have t- one minute. Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, you know, I, I definitely subscribe to this, and it's kind of funny talking about it with you because Basecamp had this whole issue in the last year about how they talk about things and treat their yeah. employees, and and so I understand they're not seen in a positive light right now. But I will channel a little bit of their philosophy. Not that part. Not that part. But the part where they talk about working as a calm company and it doesn't have to be crazy at work was their most recent book. And I was reading it just thinking, this is kind of how I work right now. And I want to be more like this. So in 2017, I was working a lot. And that was the first time that I had reached as a consultant, this kind of like income level where I was like, whoa, this is why I did this. I mean, a little bit, you know, I was a little bit more motivated by money when I was younger. It's not that I'm not now, but I'm much calmer about finances than I was.
0: Same. And you like reach a certain point where you're not, it's enough. You know, you're not struggling. Yeah. You're like maybe probably more than you thought you would make as a young person, like when you were young yeah, or like exactly. you'd ever seen and you're like, okay, this is fine.
1: Yeah. There, there is that point that you reach where, you know, you're confident that you can make ends meet and you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck and you can pay down your debt if you have some and all that stuff. So that was I think leading up to 2017 and it kind of went really fast for me. So it was hectic. I was like, Oh, I'm going to grow this business. Everything's going to be great. I I didn't have like the hustle mentality, but I really liked the projects I was working on. And come November, one of those projects was ending basically like this. We had decided that the only path forward was to pivot. And I use that word. This this was like a literal pivot. This wasn't like, Oh, pivot startup pivot. You know, it wasn't, it was, we really aren't going to make money and we either have to give money back to investors or we have to pivot. And so that when we reached that point and we decided to give money back to investors, I feel like I felt that burnout hit me and I was like, what am I even, what am I doing here? What, what, is, what is happening? Because I was working seven to seven, Monday through Thursday, and then I was just burnt out all weekend. Yeah. That's not sustainable. I don't like that. No. That's not No, calm. and
0: that feels very <laughs> antithesis to like what I know about you. So, okay. So that was like yeah. kind of your moment where you were like, no more. So what do you do to prevent that in the future?
1: I have this philosophy where I try and live every day at like a seven or eight out of 10. It's simple. It's really simple. I think
0: I've heard you say this before. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So tell us more.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's not that I can't have a good, I'm not like, whoa, <laughs> having too good of a time here. <laughs> let's, let's take it down a notch. Oh no, Brian, um,
0: you've laughed quite a few times on this episode. Should we like scale it back?
1: <laughs> well, I'll make it up? I, Yeah. I'll make it boring later. I'll do okay. really boring, awful work and then it'll right. even out. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think trying not to do too much every day. And trying to find that, you know, 5 p.m., 4 p.m., 6 p.m., whatever time works. It really depends on time zone, because um, some client meetings end up going later when time zones hit. It's it's nuts. So really just like marking out that schedule. And I'm very prolific with my calendar. I feel like we might have talked about this. Yeah. Oh, Where yes. I schedule I had to start scheduling lunch because I kept forgetting to eat it and you know, casually mentioned that I have diabetes. That's not good. You gotta No. Eat. It's
0: not, no,
1: no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm prolific with my calendar, and it's the place I go where I think, you know, at the beginning of my day, I'm like, what are What am I going to get done today? I look what's on the calendar already. I check my Trello board or my Asana board, uh, whatever I'm working at at the time, because I have one project I'm heavy in Asana with, and then my personal projects and all my clients are on another one. Uh, so then I kind of mix and match things and decide, well, what needs to get done today or what needs to get done this week? And I basically block out work sessions and that's the only way that I've been able to say, hey, I can't meet because I have a full day and then some. And people respect that, actually, mm-hmm. uh, especially because you get work done. If you if you say that and then you don't get your work done, you're probably going to get fired. No. <laughs>
0: We've
1: been through this. We've fallen <laughs> for that one too many times. But <laughs> yeah, so I, I I carve out things like going to the gym Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And uh, usually I have like a. I, when it's nice weather, I'll ride my bike at five o'clock. So, I'll race and be like, oh, I have to get out there and it gets dark early. So, I have to do it before it gets dark.
0: Yes. No, I am religious about my calendar as well. And I think like I need those bookends or I just will start working the minute I get up or work all night or whatever it is. And so, mm-hmm. it's, um, I love that yours is such a like, go to the gym, ride your bike. And, but mine is, I do a friend call most mornings and I do mm-hmm. Spanish at at the end of every day. And so it's like, yeah. and there's been those times where I'm like caught up in a spreadsheet and I'm like working until, you know, right up until like four or five or whenever the, the lesson is. And and I'm like, oh, I got to stop. And it's like, that's a thing that like would take me another hour, but I have to stop. And it's a hard stop. And I'm, you know, sometimes I do show up late to that lesson and my Spanish teacher is like, you were in a spreadsheet, weren't you? <laughs> um, yes. Hard day. Yes, I was. Sorry, Wilma.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think there yeah. is, you know, you have to make those calls and you're worse at it. We're worse at it when we're younger. And yeah. after a while, you can kind of say like, you know, I made that excuse yesterday. I mm-hmm. can't make that same excuse today because otherwise, you know, I love this idea. It's in this book called How Will You Measure Your Life? Mm-hmm. It talks about like the marginal cost versus the total cost. Mm-hmm. The marginal cost of working late one day is like nothing. You might get yeah. more done. That might be great. But the marginal cost of working every day mm-hmm. late, you miss your child's, like them growing up. You yeah. know, you miss plays. You miss, spending quality time with your partner, you miss going to the gym and feeling healthy, you know, so you have to figure out, it it kind of is like a vision experiment, like, you know, big picture things, like, what do you want your life to look like, and then work backwards from there?
0: Yeah, it's like that excuse versus reason thing too. Like, if you find yourself making the same excuse every day, maybe like, that's just, it's just not an excuse. It's the reason that you're never going to do a thing. And maybe you need to reconcile what you're actually, what you think you want, what you actually want. Um, which is something I feel like every year I have to <laughs> relearn sometimes. I do um, quarterly
1: retros and that's exactly where it comes up. Same, I started doing that in 2015. About yeah. And so I have like 30 retros or something at this point. It seems ridiculous. <laughs> when I looked at the folder, I was like, do I still need to improve that much? And when I write it out, I'm like, yeah, you, there are some holes. There's some I gaps. Picked? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no is more, this it?
0: No more retros needed
1: yeah exactly oh
0: man okay we we might need to do like a whole nother mini episode or like a blog post about your retros (laughs) because yeah
1: we definitely glossed over how i organized my life but we did a good job glossing okay okay cool
0: we'll take we'll take the gloss everybody um okay so (laughs) i want to talk about ops and marketing ops um now that we have a little bit of context about your background so you know i ask everyone what they think operations is can you give me your
1: definition you know I have a very practical definition, which is like the engineer's definition, which I will probably butcher in an engineer's life. That's not what it is, but every business has a business model, of course. And operations is really how you take whatever raw materials you have and turn into something of value for your customers. And in my head, I'm kind of thinking of the business model canvas. It's it's just kind of organizing these parts. And everybody has a different business model and a different way that they do that. Even within the same business model, you might have people who are customer service focused versus product focused. And so you can kind of organize those things. So operations to me is really just the processes with which you move things around your business and then eventually deliver value to customers.
0: I feel like this is also such a Definition of someone who works in marketing operations, and and one of these kind of more like subsects of ops where it's not like traditional operations, like it's operations for like a specific part of the business. Um, because you said moving things around, um, and like it's like the process that you use to do that. How do you think marketing operations fits into that and in the work that you do in the marketing space?
1: I think it might be easiest to translate it to an agency setting, since a lot of people have experience with that, and I'm I do work with an agency exclusively, like not. It's a complicated situation, but I'm the CEO and head of paid media at this agency. And so I work on special projects and then I do a lot of the advertising. And so I have this view. And also I have so many friends who work in agencies or own agencies around here. So I think about that model a lot and it's all marketing operations. That's the entire business is marketing operations. It's how do you take this request from a client, translate that into something that aligns with their strategy and then have people fulfill that work. Uh, in a timely manner. And I think in a great situation, in a great agency, you're perfectly aligned with the strategy. You're perfectly clear on what needs to get done. Uh, the client is clear on expectations and things will just go smoothly because we're, we're running a pretty straightforward campaign. I think the problem is that that's not always the case. Things aren't always clear. The client doesn't always have the perfect expectations we didn't set them up or maybe they were talking to another agency that was like a growth hacker and ruined their brain with all this growth hacking performance marketing jargon and so i think you know it's kind of funny because i think part of of marketing operations is really getting people on the right page it's not even the work it's the clarity and using the same language and and having the right expectations so that you can fulfill uh, things and fulfill the, the actual operations or fulfill the campaign requirements. And if you would have told me that when I was 24, I was like, oh, everybody who's, you know, 35 and older, they'll just get it. And that's just not true. Like we all have yeah. different definitions of it. And if you work in SaaS versus you work in, you know, professional services, you have different names for things and then you clash on, it's just really complicated. And so I think that's part of operations is clarifying the process and what we call things and all of those little details.
0: Yeah. It's like setting that framework from the beginning of, wait, let's take it back. What exactly are we walking away with here? What really is the goal? We're talking about a lot of things in circles. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I always think of you as a marketing ops guy, or at least I have since I knew what marketing ops was. But like, would you describe yourself that way?
1: Not to other people. (laughs) Okay. Not to clients, because I don't think that they understand operations. I actually think you and your community are way forward thinking. And people will catch up eventually. However, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, when you're talking to potential new clients or even just to people, and if I were to say, Hey, I'm Brian, I'm a marketing consultant, just you can see they turn into like a zombie. <laughs> the they just, they're ever. just like, Oh, oh my God, I'm tired all of a sudden I need to lie down. Like this is so <laughs> boring. But if you use terms like advertising or I work on like paid search and paid social and help run a marketing agency and things like that, then that's more compelling, I think. I would, for our community, I would say that I think what i say is 50 to 70% of my work is operations. And so I absolutely would identify with that. And I think that, I think people are getting it. I see a lot of jobs for email ops and things like that. And, and I think social media management is essentially just operations. There is a creative element, but it's operations. You know, you need to do things efficiently, and especially because there's pressure in from clients that, hey, we're not reach we're only reaching two percent of people with every post. Mm-hmm. We need to make these work more for our budget, or you know you can't pay somebody fifty dollars an hour if a hundred people see their post. So you have to do things more efficiently. Uh, and I think the other part of it is that tools are getting really robust. And so in the wild west of the internet, in digital marketing ten years ago, you just needed somebody who could actually execute on something. It didn't even have to be efficient. If you sent an email newsletter once per month, you were doing really well, you know. <laughs> low bar. Yeah, very low bar. If you were just on Google Ads, you were great, but the platforms themselves have grown. Yeah. The knowledge and integration into, you know, as these things mature, then you need people to be very specific with what they do. It's no longer oh you sent an email. It's hey, like we actually need the links to work and we need to do it more efficiently (laughs) because we're going to be sending automated emails through ActiveCampaign or MailChimp or HubSpot or Pardot or something like that. And you have these really robust, complicated workflows. uh, And I'm working on one right now with Salesforce and Pardot. You need those to work perfectly because if you're selling million dollar contracts, you can't afford to just have somebody back there just like winging it
0: I hope that the links work. Yeah. 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 No, I've hired. You know, I've hired and worked with marketing ops people who, you know, I see their like Airtable checklist on the back for QA of emails and workflows and lists and all of this, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is a jobs for an ops person for sure, and it's not that one newsletter a month anymore. But there's been a big rise in these team specific ops roles, marketing ops, but also revenue ops, design ops, and so on. And part of me is like, is this just rebranding? And then part of me is like. No, like there's also these very real like things have changed in the industry where you you need a QA of these newsletters and of these workflows. And so it's interesting to see how those roles are going to change over the next couple of years. But I guess to go back to marketing ops specifically, like, you know, you've worked with a bunch of teams. Do you think every marketing team of a certain size should have like a dedicated ops person who sees things this way and thinks this way? When do you think like a marketing ops person is helpful to a team?
1: Well, that is a very tough question. Because you need to make enough money to pay for this person and also pay for yourself. I'm thinking bootstrapped companies right now in my head. Yeah. Either bootstrapped or maybe you raise a seed round or something like that. You can gain the most leverage. Like your time has the most leverage, so you need to keep that time precious. However, if you hire too early, then you you don't have anything to do and you can't. There is no opportunity cost because there's nothing else that you can do. Uh, so it's kind of like this weird question. Uh, or this weird position that is very unique to where you are and who you are and what your business is. But I do think that you should hire early, you know, make sure you're profitable, of course, but hire early to get somebody who's a freelancer who there are tons of freelancers and tons of great marketing freelancers out there who will will work for uh, like a you know a good wage, but they will work just their set hours. They want to work ten hours a month with a client, you know? so that's what you should look for. I do see the mistake uh, being that, people want to hire full-time too early
0: yeah I see this too and I'm like why I'm a big fan of fractional work for yeah for a lot of those reasons too for both like the business and for myself like I like doing it but I'm also you know someone who runs a business I'm like no like this is just so much more efficient you can give someone work that they want to you know like I think sometimes especially coming from like an ethical standpoint I was like I want to hire someone full-time I want to give them health insurance we're in yeah. the US they need health insurance and then realizing that like not everyone wants their schedule to be that way, right?
1: That's exactly it. And I think there are plenty, you need to find somebody who's aligned with the position because often you'll, especially when you hire full-time, you might say, hey, this is a marketing coordinator role, which is basically the entry-level position, being a marketing coordinator or a marketing associate. And you'll often have many things in that role. Email marketing, social media, maybe some pay-per-click, maybe some SEO. It's really hard to find somebody who wants to do all of those things. And so they're going to find it agonizing to do part of that. So why not hire somebody who wants to invest in themselves and become a consultant one day? Like I was the perfect person to hire for social ads and for search ads for many years because I wanted to invest my time in that. And all of my reading was in that. I was, I was good at it because I spent my time there. It's not wise to hire somebody to get good at social ads if they manage six other things, because it's hard to keep up with everything that's changing. And so how do you do that if you're spread thin across you know, 10 different marketing topics, you're just going to be kind of okay at many of them.
0: Yeah. So how do you balance doing the work with staying up to date with all the changes that Google and these other providers are constantly making, especially as a freelancer?
1: I have two parts to this answer. The first one is that once (laughs) all advertising moves towards the next platform, maybe TikTok, I'm going to retire from social ads.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So this is why you're moving to like the consulting COO stuff, right? It's just like a long play to get out of of ads. Okay.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to leave something you're really good at. And I really do enjoy search and social ads still. I think there's just a lot of room for the clients I work with to grow. And there's plenty of good work to be done. There's plenty of people who aren't doing very good work. And it's more complicated now because you're trying to integrate with databases and you're trying to use different reporting software. So it's still super interesting. But once we, yeah, once we move to that next platform, I'm going to check out and please somebody tweet me in five years when that happens to make sure that I'm I think on. you're very
0: optimistic that it's going to take five years, but I will I will set that reminder.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the, to, the real answer to the question is that it's hard. It's just really hard. And you have to carve out some time to do that. And this is kind of going back to how I work. I make time. I'm really good at making time to do the things that I think need to keep me on track. And those things are quarterly retros for me. Spending a couple hours over the course of a week thinking about things that I've done How am I spending my time? Am I fulfilling kind of like the life or the work life that I want? And then some really tactical things like Friday morning, it should be between 10 and 11. We're going to push it back today. I have an hour where I invest time into one of my side projects, which is basically learning Python, but for marketing ops. So we will talk about that in a second because oh, there wow, are some yeah, really okay. yeah, 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 yeah. But, but that hour is really set aside for that. But then at other points I have my calendar pulled up. I don't know if I'll actually, I might've moved it or deleted it because this week is a little crazy, but I have things like a CEO work session. So it's just like time to think about my role with that company. And then I have time to reach out to new people or to invest in my learning. And so that's when I try and stay on top of things and and read those emails from Facebook that have been starring or from Google where things are getting updated. But there is a point where I feel like you have to focus. And that's part of operations is really focusing on the most important thing. Sometimes clients will send me emails and they'll say, Hey, is this important? And I just one word. Nope. That's it. Because like, that's part of your job for them is to help filter the priorities for them because they're going to be like, Oh my gosh, Google said they're going to shut down their ads. And I'm like, well, we don't actually have those ads. We're good to go. Or that's happening in 2022. So we're good to go. And so being kind of ruthless with your time and saying I only have, you know, forty hours a week. And so I can only focus on the highest leverage things for you, that's when you stop thinking about, oh, this really tactical, like Twitter doubled their character count on on posts last year. Like, I don't care about that. That doesn't impact <laughs> me at all. You have to filter those things yourself.
0: Yeah, well, and I think it's so tempted with so much noise out there to get sucked down those rabbit holes of those emails or those announcements or what people are talking about on Twitter about a change in a platform and finding your ways to, to avoid context switching between them constantly, right? Like I set myself up to passively receive a lot of those like news by email and then I auto tag them to read and they're like hidden from my inbox and I have a calendar thing where like, go read all your newsletters, <laughs> you
1: know? you have an- No, that's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly it, you know? And, every- and you have to, look- sometimes it's not in my calendar to ha- take time to read my pocket because I save things to pocket that I find, you yeah. know, on social or an um, email or something like that. And so there are starred things and frequently I'll scroll through them and skim it and be like, "Star that, save it for later. That is valuable, just not at this moment. Totally. And so there is a little process there, but to your point, you know, you have, I think, I think the best thing is to only subscribe to emails that are reliable, only follow people on Twitter who are reliable because the world is falling every single day. Yeah. And, you can't get sucked into those details, even on the small scale, like marketing operations or social ads. Every day somebody's complaining that Facebook is screwing them over or something like that. Yeah.
0: Well, since you subscribe to both the opsy newsletter and follow me on Twitter, I will take that as a high compliment that we ma- that I'm making <laughs> into your inbox. <laughs> yeah.
1: Check that lead score. It's probably pretty good. Probably
0: pretty good. <laughs> oh, I will. I'll be checking your open right after this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh shoot, uh, better open them all while we're I talking I was gonna say you've like
0: <laughs> sent me to like a like a filter where you never look at them. Okay. Well, so maybe we kind of have one last question here, which is what advice would you give to someone who wants to do the kind of work that you do?
1: The work I do is really just special projects. That's the stuff that is the most interesting and the most opsy. And the best way to do that is to become known for somebody who works on hard projects and somebody who finishes things and delivers things on time. So if you're reliable and trustworthy and you're a good teammate and you're versatile, if you want to be a consultant, you need to be like versatile and be able to adapt to different teams and personalities. Consulting is a great way to do that. And I think just take on hard projects wherever you are. For me, that was in-house. At every company, people would frequently bombard me with opportunities for projects. Sometimes a little more than I would like. Uh, But I got to choose some things and some things were chosen for me. And I, I had this big kind of like repository of work that I could look back on. And when people were talking about the challenges that they're running into... I was like, oh, yeah, I migrated a 1,200-page site from one CMS to another. It was terrible. Let me share with you the template that I created to make it less terrible. Um, you can rely on those things. And the only way to do that is to take on hard projects. And I think that's the easiest way to do it, especially if you're young. The other way to do it is to just go work for a big consultancy and go top-down. And you know, I, I knew a consultant who consulted with Amazon at McKinsey or something, and then he went to work for Amazon, and now he's a consultant for Amazon. That's great, but... That's not the route that I chose.
0: Yeah, yeah. So knowing your knowing your route. Well, I like to wrap up every episode with a little bit of a showcase because I think it can be hard to show off your work as an operations person, um, at least in like a concrete way. And you gave me again like a perfect segue because you were talking about this repository of like projects that you have and so i would love to dig into one that you're really proud of or one that you like a win you recently had that you know maybe was uh, worthy of a dry fit wednesday <laughs> uh and <laughs> oh, <man.
1: laughs> and so you know
0: it's not going away so yeah set the stage for us what was a problem you were trying to solve um and let's talk about how you approached it what went right and wrong and all the juicy details
1: I have a small project, I have a medium project, and I have a big project. Which one would you like to hear about? Such an OPSI response.
0: Let's go medium. Let's go in the middle. Knowing no other details, I'm like, let's go with that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The small project was essentially, I can detail them a little bit. Small project was I couldn't find time to analyze these social ads that it's a big, lots of campaigns, big account, and I couldn't find time to analyze them. So I wrote a program that analyzed, that ran the analysis. And dumped it into Excel with some conditional formatting.
0: This is a small project, Brian?
1: This, yeah. I would say it probably took me 40 or 50 hours.
0: Okay, we have yeah, different, different definitions of small. <laughs> How big is the medium project?
1: The medium project was. Oh, it was only a little bit bigger, but it's something that gets used often
0: okay let's just i'm'm I'm, I'm gonna commit I'm still gonna commit to the medium project so let's just let's just do that and you know i'll, I'll we'll we'll rope Brian in to talk about these other things another time in another format at some point
1: <laughs> yeah so the medium project is really I thought it was interesting because we were coming across a very classic marketing agency problem which is mistakes you know you frequently the bus- the business model of marketing agency it's not always like this but Unfortunately a lot of agencies do this is that they give they juniorize work. So they're like, "Hey, I'm a consultant. I'm I'm so experienced. I'm going to sell you on this project and then they give it to interns." And I love interns, I paid internships, like that's great. I think, you know, practical experience is awesome and having the ability to make mistakes and all that that's amazing. However, there're still going to be mistakes. You need to catch those mistakes, you need to QA them, you need to have a process. So what was happening is we had a client who had a weekly um update to their ads where they essentially had let's say let's say they were a big box retailer and they had 35 stores who had a sale on the weekend and that information changed every weekend so i wrote this program to take the spreadsheet that already existed strip it all down and then take that information and put it onto uh, photoshop image ads and automatically dump out an ad for each of those 35 locations, snap of a finger. Pretty cool.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Pretty cool, Brian. Pretty cool. I'll give you that. Yeah.
1: Definitely a humble brag. But the cool part, what like I felt I took a lot of pride in that. I'm still really proud of that program. But the thing that really jumped out to me is that we haven't had any errors. And we were catching two to three errors per week at two different points in the process before because somebody was manually copying and pasting information from a Google Sheet into Photoshop and then exporting it as a jpeg and when you copy and paste things don't always come out how you plan between two programs and then sometimes you know the spelling would be wrong in the google sheet and then it became wrong in this photoshop file and so we have a way to kind of check on these things it there were just all these little complex little details that would make things so complicated and then we'd spend probably six to eight hours a week on this process and now we're spending. An hour and a half, maybe.
0: Love to hear that.
1: Oh, it's so perfect, and it frees up time from the designer. Like he doesn't want to get harassed about, you know, changing little details on a Photoshop ad. Yeah. And I I don't know. There were just so many little wins from that, and the client has not had any problems. We probably have one every two months or three months where we have a mistake that was from the source spreadsheet that we have to fix manually. So.
0: Wow. Okay. So how did you? How did you build that thing?
1: Well. I think diagnosing the problem is part is really part of it and okay. diagnosing the weak points, right? So I'm pretty good about, I love doing this. This is one of my favorite things.
0: You like visibly sat forward and like got so I excited. Lurched. I lurched. You lurched. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I had to name that because people can't see
1: you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I love putting together kind of like these problem docs where you diagnose the problem and you really write things out. It's similar to a developer who talks to their rubber ducky where I just... I overview the problem, I talk about what impacts it and what doesn't, you know, kind of like the constraints you have and the assumptions, and then kind of identify the perfect solution. And often that's things that are important and things that are not important. Because, you know, for us, we had an option to use a dynamic image on each of them. I could write the program so that it could grab a random image from a file, but that's too much work. And we had an option to export it to a zip and to automatically download it through like this Python module. That's too much work. We just need something that works and that reduces the errors. And so that was what I would call the bronze metal version was that I at first would manually copy and paste into or download the sheet. And then I would do something to validate the addresses. And so it was 20 minutes of manual work, then the program. And then we eventually got that down. But I think finding that, you know, identifying the problem and identifying the potential solution that is what I would call a bronze metal version, not something that's going to blow everybody away, but something that's going to really tackle the root of the problem, which for us, it wasn't necessarily the time, it was the errors and the client not trusting us.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of times when we people talk about streamlining, they think about or like automating, they think about the time, but I always go back to those errors too. And also just like reducing annoyances, or like sometimes those little things where I'm like, I'm so annoyed by this typo that I have to go, it only takes me five minutes to fix. But like, To remove those from my day. You know, or you talk about like being at a 7.8 or 7 or 8 out of 10. Like that helps me stay at a 7 or 8 out of 10 instead of not having to deal with those things. So that's such an underappreciated win, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's identifying those things that a robot can do that. We don't need somebody to manually copy and paste. Yeah. His time is more valuable than that. He's a good designer. And so I think that's one of the things I read a couple books about leverage and understanding how important that is to get those seven hours back. And it's not just the hours, like you said, it's the agony that it puts you through and the stress that it puts you through. That is, that changed how I think. And that's probably where I leveled up my operation skills where I'm known as the no guy. Like people come to me with ideas. And I'm like, no, that doesn't because I'm really good at kind of identifying like, well, is this going to impact more than the things that we're doing already? And the answer is no, I don't want to do it. Let's not create more work. We don't need to be working till seven. Yeah. I stopped myself on a rant because I was ready to go.
0: (laughs) Because you were ready to go. Thanks so much for chatting with me today, Brian. This was great. Like, Mm -hmm. Obviously, we have lots to follow up on at some point in the future. (laughs) Tell us where people can find you on the internet if they want to stay in touch and hear your record recommendations.
1: Ooh, record recommendations, book recommendations, all of them. You know, If you want to get in touch with me and you're like, we have something to talk about, then you should probably just add me on LinkedIn or or email me. You can find my email somewhere.
0: I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah, that's fine. But a good place to find me is Twitter. I'm not on there very often, much like Megan, your first guest. A bunch of people who just aren't interested in social, but I am on there and I do share some interesting bits uh, about those programs I wrote and about the ops journey and the marketing journey. So that's a good place to find me because otherwise, you know, I have notifications muted. I'm working. I'm busy. I'm not going to respond.
0: Oh my god! Because Brian don't text his time. Don't te- yes, yes. Don't text him. We will not be sharing his phone number. <laughs> okay, great. Well, um, and if you haven't uh, picked up on this either, Brian is also an avid reader who uh, makes me want to read better books when I see his good <laughs> reads.
1: <laughs> better books. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or I'm sorry, more serious, less embarrassing books. And so, you know, I've been trying to convince him to to start an Opsy book club. So we'll see, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah,
1: that'd be get love well, no feedback on that. Do we want an Opsy book club? That'd be cool.
0: Yeah, yeah that'd read. be cool. Okay, cool. Well, thanks again, Brian. Thanks everybody for listening. If you are not already a member of Opsy, please join us at Opsy That's the website. We would love to have you as part of the community. Until then, stay Opsy, folks. Thanks for listening to Opsy. You can find resources and links from this episode in the show notes at opsi.org. And while you're there, I hope you'll take a second to join our free community, where we share resources and opportunities that help us all level up in our ops careers. Again, that link is opsi.org. Until next time, stay Opsy, friends.